coming up next. There's something called trackers that they put in everything these days. So, so most of these companies that collect this data, they collect it for, for commercial purposes. Um, they may say, oh, well, you see, we're collecting this so that we can make your life smoother. No, 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 no. They are collecting it so that they can sell you advertising or that they can package that information and sell it to people who will sell you advertising. Hi there and welcome to this podcast. I am Andrew Locker. And I'm Diana Ayo. Thanks for tuning in. On the AfroTech Talk podcast, we speak to tech experts, individuals in the tech space, as well as young people about the latest trends and innovations in Africa to explore how tech is transforming their society. We filter our guests' profound insights into actionable guidance, empowering listeners to find inspiration and actively participate in the ongoing tech revolution. If you are new to the show or would want to recommend our podcast to your friends and family, our starter packs are a great place for you to get hooked. We understand that it can be a bit hard to get started. So for this, we have our episodes segmented into different topics that will have you started right away. Visit afrotechtalk.africa. In a three-part series on privacy, we speak to Geoffrey Okao, a key player in tech with several years of experience in the digital space. We'll be diving deep into the concept of privacy in today's digital world. Welcome back to the second episode of our three-part series on privacy. We continue our discussion with Geoffrey about the importance of protecting our privacy in the digital era. If you have not listened to our first episode, we recommend you check it out and can return to this episode. So, um, Geoffrey... What are the potential risks and consequences of neglecting privacy protection in the digital era? So um, the potential risks and consequences of neglecting privacy in the digital age is, is actually difficult to quantify because, because some of the risks have not yet emerged because people have not yet devised ways of using that information in devious ways, which could then escalate the degree of, of consequences. But to date... There is the risk of impersonation, where somebody can pretend to be you using information that that is yours and that some people trust that is yours. So then they can impersonate you and using that impersonation, then they can do whatever it is that they want to do based on on that impersonation. And that impersonation can go very deep because, because they could impersonate you, say, to your mobile company, they could impersonate you to the hospital, they could impersonate you to all kinds of other entities. The big advantage that we have in Africa in particular is that we are not yet digitized enough for it to really have detrimental um, consequences. Um, I'm sure there are people who <laughs> whose ID details are all over the place, but number one, they don't know. Number two, they, they don't really have anything that, that could could incriminate them with that information because, because maybe they're in the village digging somewhere. So, so whatever it does. So, so we haven't gotten to a degree of digitization that, that that can happen. So, but otherwise neglecting our privacy um, is not something that we should take lightly. I think it's something that, that, that these forums like yours should, should be uh, leveraging to, to educate people. Because it is down to education. Because when you know, then you make informed decisions. 
Um, but if you don't know, you could make dumb decisions, even if you are somebody who who has a PhD in whatever it is that you have a PhD in. Um, but if you don't know what the impact of certain actions is, then, then you don't know. And you could become a victim of fraud. You could become a victim of identity theft. You could become a victim of any kinds of things. I mean, you could be going to cross a border and they say, hey, wait, 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 you've been arrested before somewhere else. And you're waiting, wait, I've never been arrested anywhere. But no, the person who stole your identity got arrested and, and claimed to be that. And then now it's in the system and then it becomes difficult to claim. So those are some of the consequences. Um, but I can say not all consequences have been discovered yet because there is consequences that continue being discovered as technology escalates, as the bad guys discover ways to kind of mess up with it. And as, as you know, um, mechanisms to access uh, private information increases and, and, you know, security lapses take place and breaches take place, all of that um, kind of gives us a landscape where it's difficult to, so, to say what the overall consequences are. But many of them are the ones that I've just mentioned. Okay. And um, we, we also face major challenges, you know, major problems of data breaches and, uh, and uh, cyber attacks. How do these impact individuals' lives and well-being generally? Yeah, so this is also related to the first one. Um, so <laughs> breaches occur either because of negligence and or inadvertent disclosure. So somebody disclosed information inadvertently. So so it wasn't it wasn't an active attack to try and steal that information. Um, but then a cyber attack is an active attack where somebody knows, okay, so there is a certain piece of information that I want there and I want to go and steal it and they attack the system and they steal it. So it affects personal lives because in ways that are dependent on on the person or the entity that told that information and, and what their motivation is. So in some cases, it's just motivated by, 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 by commercial reasons. So they want to sell this information on the dark web. So they steal it, they verify it, they put it up on the dark web and they get money out of it and they walk. And then now the person who's bought that information may have bought it for devious reasons. So, so it can affect individuals' well-being but in ways that is difficult to kind of establish as in it's going to be this because it also varies from one geography to the other. So more developed countries where, where, where a lot of things are digitized, a data breach can have way further reaching consequences because then maybe the health records have been stolen um, or maybe the banking records have been stolen. Um, and, and yeah, so, 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 so the impact is, is higher in certain places than in others. Uh, depending on the degree of digitization and also the motivation of the people. Following up on uh, on on that uh, on that response, so recently, quite recently, there was uh, there was this attack that happened. Uh, it affected mainly uh, Kenya, in which there was uh, there's this crew uh, that's called Anonymous Sudan, which kind of like you know hijacked a lot of uh, information and took custody of uh, so much information which. In a way, affects uh, you know privacy of 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 the people whose uh, whose uh, data was actually kept there. So uh, we would want to know you know in what ways can the exploitation of such personal data lead to uh, discrimination, or does it even cause discrimination in the first place? But I can tell you that that from where I stand, and even with the current work that I do, we do a lot of we take a lot of effort 
and expend a lot of money to protect information that relates to refugees, that relates to internally displaced people, that relates to people who are disadvantaged in some way, because that information can be used in life-threatening ways against certain communities. You see, so 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 then that's the reason why certain pieces of information, uh, for example, refugee data, refugee data is never disclosed to anybody. UNHCR has authority over it. They will not disclose it to anybody because then the reason why somebody is a refugee is because they are running from something. Now, if that information is disclosed to somebody, they say, ah, okay, so these are the ones, and then now their lives are actually at risk. So, so, so some of these these breaches um, that take place can result in people's lives being at risk, you know, for real, you know. So, so um, I, I would say that you know, protecting information is absolutely critical, um, and and that doesn't mean that the people who are holding the information will not discriminate against others. That still exists, you know. The, the same people who are collecting the information might say, "Ah, well, is there?" Mm-hmm. So we will not deliver services to this thing. And bias is something that is 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 to us as humans a, a thing that we have. You see, it's the degree to which we take it that can be detrimental. Because I mean, we all have biases. You want mm-hmm. to buy a blue one rather than yeah. a green one. That's already a bias. But good or bad, you see. So okay, so. And, and then again, uh, this uh, this falls on you. Um, so, do you have any specific examples that you know get to illustrate the real life consequence of uh, you know or, or consequences that individuals can face when uh, their privacy online is actually compromised? Any examples? Because at some point I was chief information security officer, so I, I got a lot of those. There's one case where. Um, they published um, a, a fake website that appeared to look like a job-seeking website for the UN, and people apply for jobs. And everybody who applied, <laughs> they got the job. Professor okay. um, from Poland, she she applied, she got the job, and and they told her, okay, so now we are processing your 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 documents, your visa. Then send us this. She sent them that. Okay, now send us this. They she sent them. They said, okay, so now from this point on, because you don't yet have a visa. We will refund you the money once you arrive, so you need to send us the amount of money. So ultimately, she lost about $34,000. Um, and, and then now, once she realized this thing doesn't look right, she called our real office. And the real office said, <laughs> what site? We don't have We don't do those kind of things, blah, blah, blah. And, and it ended up with my office, you see. So, so that was a real-life consequence. And now here's this individual. How do you help them? Because, because that site was not you. That was somebody else, and and but they lost real money, and and then the site disappears after a while and appears somewhere else with a different shape. You know, so it's those are some of the consequences that can happen. And I'm sure there are people even in Uganda who have lost money because there are many people who have called us to say, hey, are you guys advertising these jobs? Oh yeah, I sent two hundred dollars. Oh no no no, you've just been scammed. So stop. Um, all you've lost is two hundred dollars. Stop right there. You know, um, and and. There are those consequences that that that, that arise. Thank you, uh, th- thank you, thank you so much, uh, Geoffrey, for for that. Now, my next question, and then I can uh, actually have Diana in and ask you other questions. Is, uh, you know, in uh, in in that in that light, yeah, would you also want to you know to let us know how the lack of proper privacy protection get to contribute to uh, to this topic as well in terms of fraud? So. It is incumbent upon the entity that holds that information to protect it. 
to protect it according to regulation. Uh, but regulation doesn't go far enough. Um, and then it's a very delicate balance between regulation and function. And to protect it according to their commercial requirements or commercial, whatever reason that they're holding that information. So it's the entity that is holding that information is the custodian or the processor of that information. They could have dual roles or it could be separated. But they are, they should hold, they should be required to protect that information in ways that they can be held accountable should that information get lost. The thing about it is, it doesn't matter how accountable somebody is. Once that information is lost, it is lost. Um, and you could find the entity, you could send them to jail, but the consequence, the fact that you sent them to jail doesn't now absolve or rather remove the risk um, that the exposed information um, has upon individuals. So it, it's a complex, complex world, but it's something that has to be approached deliberately. It is possible to have you know, good data privacy. It's possible to have solid data protection. It is, it is something that has to be planned. It has to be designed from the ground up. It can't be something that you start building midway through when you're doing something. No, you have to design it from the ground up. Um, you have to build processes and procedures and, and, and establish a culture around that with the people who are handling it um, to protect this information. Um, and then you have to establish systems that facilitate that um, so that the systems are auditable, which means that if something goes wrong, somebody can, um, can or rather the, the, the regulators can take a look at it. Um, it should be something that, um, that uh, um, fulfills the jurisdictional um, uh, norms and the jurisdictional um, requirements for, 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 for privacy. So, so if you're in Europe, for example, there are certain rules I've established. If you're in the US, the US is kind of a bit wild because you know different states have different rules. So it gets more complicated there. Um, in Africa, several governments are now establishing data privacy and protection rules. Um, but again, a lot of it is, is, is legal pros, um, but then there have to be systems at the back to, to, to kind of enforce that. Okay, Geoffrey, um, I'd also li like for you to just take us through some of the potential implications of personal data uh, being used for targeted advertising and uh, influencing customer behavior. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> trackers, there's something called trackers that they put in everything these days. So, so most of these companies that collect this data, they collect it for for commercial purposes. Um, they may say, oh, well, you see, we are collecting this so that we can make your life smoother. No, 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 no. They are collecting it so that they can sell you advertising or that they can package that information and sell it to people who will sell you advertising. Um, because the information that they collect is now very, very detailed. Um, it, it, the information they collect is more granular than, than you ever know about yourself. They can tell you about yourself that Thing, they can predict what you are going to do in a given situation because they have analyzed multiple data points about you, which you yourself don't even know. So the, if you don't want targeted advertising and you don't want your life intruded by those things, you have to minimize your exposure to those things. So, so when you get an email, for example, that, that, that is advertising something, by clicking on that email alone, you have already said, you, you've opened the email, it has told those people that you've opened the email, even tells them which part of the email you read, how long you spent time reading it, etc., etc. So, so it, it's very, very detailed. If you open it on your phone, 
then you've given way more information because then they'll pick up things like you know your location they'll pick up things like even your even your screen resolution the battery life they'll pick up way more details so if you don't want to be exposed you have to limit the ex your, your your attack surface or your exposure surface you have to shrink that there are tools that you can use for that but you have to be deliberate you have to be intentional you have to plan it carefully it can't just be something that you can ah yeah let me just install this app. no you have to know what you've installed you have to know you know um, how they behave and in some cases the people who make those apps don't even know that the trackers are embedded because the trackers are embedded in the software libraries that are used to develop that so when they use that library the tracking is intrinsically already embedded um, in the thing um, and there's a good uh, there's a cousin of ours who developed um, app and he was very happy with it the app works very very well and then i installed the app because he told me hey can you check it out i installed the app and the app and my trackers my tracker brokers just came up and said hey this app is trying to track you we have blocked 193 temps blah blah i called him i said why are you tracking your people he said what do you mean so i sent him the detail he said oh my word i didn't know this so he digs into it and he finds that there are certain libraries from google that that he used to build this app that have trackers embedded inside. Just imagine how deep that goes. You see, so so those things, um, things that make it more difficult. But if we're intentional, we can shrink the surface. We almost can't eliminate it. Okay, and could you be knowing of any inst uh, instances, you know, where inadequate privacy protection has led to violation of uh, civil rights or societal discrimination? Uh, I haven't been exposed to that degree. Um, yeah apart from it being conceptual um i haven't been you know physically involved in a situation that that has had that um uh, apart from of course in the office where say for example somebody has inadvertently disclosed certain information about somebody else and then you know that person became a victim of of um of of, of harassment um, and then you know people lost their jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so but that was within the microcosm of the work environment, but not within a wider societal uh, situation. Thank you so much. Um, and I would also love to know uh, if you're in position to share insights, you know, into how governments and policymakers are addressing the need for enhanced privacy protection. Yeah. Well. Again, the insights that I'll share with you are based on my exposure to these things. Um, I was working with the government of Mozambique um, and Malawi many, many years ago to help them shape their um, privacy policies. And this one was, you know, I'm talking about mid-2000s. Um, so, um, so first of all, they need to recognize that there is a need to legislate this. Um, the problem, of course, is that um, the people who are doing the legislation, which is usually parliament and all of the, they are totally ignorant about these things, so they don't know. Um, and the extent to which a country's laws are made usually is down to the degree of morality of the of the legislators themselves. It's the extent to which they they know stuff. So so they have to resort to a body of of of, um, of experts or of consultants uh, to to advise them. Now. The consultants would normally come and give them good advice, generic advice, advice that, yeah. but then now they, they then adapt it to their situation and to the things that motivate them, you see, which could then now compromise the efficacy of what 
advice was given, you see, because then there are now interests that kind of filter into that and shape how it comes out, you see. So ultimately, um, any government should be very interested in protecting the rights, the, the, the privacy of their citizens and to use that information to the benefit of the citizen and the extent to which, say, for example, planning for government services and things that have to do with governments is done using that information, you see. So so, so that, that for me, should be the main driver. And when I was working with this um, Mozambique and Malawi many years ago, that was their motivation. In fact, the person who was heading that in Mozambique, it was the prime minister who was heading that, 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 that um, undertaking. So that was the degree of seriousness that they had applied to it. Um, and then it has to filter down to, you know, education for the legislators, education for the, for the different departmental heads, the ministries, and so on and so on. It's a huge, huge undertaking because it becomes a whole cultural shift. Because before they had files that were stored in sacks or in filing cabinets somewhere, you know, uh, yeah, so that information had a risk of things like fire, you know, and stuff like that. So there's a different set of risks. And then now that it's been digitized, then there is all new sets of risks and complexities that emerge that they have to pay attention to, that traditionally governments were not built to pay attention to. So, so, so it's those things. And then now they have to rely on tech companies to provide the platform to protect that information. Now, the tech companies are motivated by a totally different set of um, motivations to protect that. And... Eh, and so now the government is reliant on a set of tech companies um, whose you know, uh, motivations are different. And the place they meet is a contract, which is, okay, so we'll do this, you'll do this, and that. But you cannot establish in legal prose everything that has to do with privacy. You know, it, it's, it's, that, it's that difficult. So, so I would say that um, it's something that if, if any governmental entity wants to be serious about this, they have to understand the cultural, the, 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 the non-technical things around it, um, together with the technical things, um, but align it with their motivation for their, for their, for their citizens. Wow. So uh, just one last thing before we can, we can actually close, uh, close this episode. So we've uh, we've all heard about uh, you know GDPR. Would you want to you know expand on what that is, and if uh, we would really need to have one particularly directed towards the African continent? You understand there is the EU version. Do we really need an African one? So over to you. Okay. So the reason GDPR is working is because the the entities that got together to to, to, to come up with it, are committed to, to taking it to the nth degree. They spent a lot of time doing a lot of research and consulting with a lot of people. And when they eventually formulated it and, and basically reviewed it widely, they agreed that this is the standard we're going to use. So if we're going to adopt that on the continent, that's where it should start. It should start with agreement. Now, on the continent, we have difficulty on some very basic agreements, you know. So, so this one will test our resolve to data pr uh, protection and privacy, which quite frankly may not be a priority for many of these governments, you see. So, so to now say, uh, yeah, let's come up with a GDPR kind of a situation um, in, in, on the continent, it, it sounds like a good idea, but it's one that, that is, is far from us to reach. 
Um, what might be more attainable is data sharing agreements where you know um, one government agrees with the other one that hey listen if somebody steals a car here we share that information with all our neighbors so that if the car appears in the congo the congo picks it up you know that seems to be easier to attain but then it is easier to say it than to implement it because implementing it has multiple multiple layers of 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 things that have to, to to take place and you might find that even within the entity that's supposed to implement it there are interests that don't want to implement it because it it infringes on something that they are benefiting from that by implementing it gets eliminated you see so there are now certain motivations that kick in at certain levels that block that you see so 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 with the europeans they eliminated a lot of those things i'm sure they also have their own things that are kind of blocking it but They've eliminated then then of course they now set the companies that do business in europe to say hey listen if you want to do business here these are the rules in which you do business here with regard to privacy and that is universal to throughout um the continent i mean throughout the eu so so now you have to have a way of enforcing that you don't just you shouldn't just be able to stipulate it you should be able to enforce it and the few that have been caught doing it, Facebook, for example, uh, Google, for example, have been fined huge fines. So anybody who's sitting, you know, doing that, they say, oh, no, wait a minute. I want to play according to these rules because I want to go out of business when I come and get fined. You see, to get that on the African continent, we still have a long way to go. It starts with motivation. It starts with commitment. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for those insights. It's always wonderful to have you appear in uh, in our episodes and we are really grateful. Thanks for making time always. Appreciate it and all the very best. I hope that uh, this, this uh, podcast goes far and wide and improves the, the literacy of people around digital privacy because that is key if we're going to achieve this. That was our conversation with Geoffrey Okao from Afrotech Talk. This is the second part of our three-part series on privacy. Stay tuned for the last part. And just in case you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe, like, share, and follow on the different platforms. This podcast is hosted and directed by Andrew and Diane, edited and produced by Marfa Sasa Studios for Afro Tech Talk.